So this morning, um, as I said earlier, we're going to go through Psalm 36 just rather quickly, but um, just wanted to, to, to go into it deeper than, than what we did in the call to worship. And I titled the message, The Unchanging Love of God. The Unchanging Love of God. Um, in, in the English Standard Version, it would be the steadfast love of God. Um, and you would see that um, clearly, it, it's, that it's the, the, the prominent theme. It's verse 5, when it, when it starts about God, it starts with your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heaven. When he gets to verse 7, he, he doesn't recount all the other attributes. He says, how precious is your steadfast love, O God. When he gets to, to verse 10 and he starts his prayer, his petition, it's continue your steadfast love to those who know you. So we want to look at the unchanging love of God. But before we get there, um, we're going to go through verses 1 to 4 once again really quickly. Um, but I hope by the time we're done, um, yes, it's important to understand the nature of the sinner. And I hope that, that as, after we're done that you have a greater understanding of that. But obviously the, the goal this morning is that you have a greater understanding of the unchanging love of God, of the steadfast love of God. Um, and that you'll have a love for this psalm that maybe you didn't have before and you'll refer back to it often. So follow along, I'll read the first four verses of Psalm 36. Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes, for he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. The words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. He has ceased to act wisely and do good. He plots trouble while on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not reject evil. Some of you, I don't know, I mean, I think a few of you use the New International Version or NIV, um, and it translates verse 1 very differently, um, and you would have already seen that um, from the call to worship or as I read there. Um, on the screen, you can see how verse 1 is in the, in the New International Version, and it says, I have a message from God in my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. So you have kind of the same words, but a slightly different word order and a different understanding of 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 a few things related to the, the case and of the verb and, and, and all of that. And, and the, the literal passage does say my heart, um, which is why they went towards that understanding of, of, the, of the verse. Um, neither, neither view is, is necessarily, is at all unbiblical, right? Um, obviously the word of God, you know, that, that, a, that the psalmist is writing is from God. He's inspired to write this, right? And he's writing about the sinfulness of the wicked. So verse one, as the NIV translates it, is certainly true whether or not it was the, the, the intent of what the writer was writing. Um, but I'm not going to go into it any further than that, but we're using the ESV, and I'm going to go with that. It's the majority translation um, that's used out there. Really, the NIV is one of the few to, to have gone um, with the way it did. Um, so I'm going to understand it that transgression is the one that is, transgression is, is being personified as speaking to the wicked deep in the wicked person's heart. Um, as I said in the call to worship, it, it's it's... It's just resonating in the, in the wicked person's heart. And that's what happens is sin resonates um, with the lost sinner. Um, it, it's, it's consuming to them. It, it's appealing, right? Whereas those of us who are in Christ, we, we, we see some appeal, but we see some, some, some the evil, the wickedness. It, it, it has a, 
a, a different sense for us. But for the wicked, um, it, it's resonating. Um, sin is, is at home, really, for the, for the lost person. And it's really about, it's a heart issue. It's speaking deep in the, in the sinner's heart, right? Um, and that's where he or she is, is listening to that voice of rebellion, um, it says there is no fear of God before um, his eyes. There's no, no dread, no fear of, of, of as it says in, in verse 2, of, it, of the iniquity being found out. There's no fear of that. There's no fear of, of any judgment day because it really is, is like other psalms said about the wicked. Is, is, is the fool or the wicked says in his heart there is no God. If there is no God, there is no judgment day, right? There's no one to give an account to, and that's how the wicked person is living their life. There's no fear of God. There's no fear of, of standing before him and having to give an account. No fear of being judged. Verse 3 says the words of his mouth are trouble and deceit, right? It, this shows that the, the, the sinfulness or the, the nature of the sinner is going to come out of the mouth. Um, we know that. Um, and the words of the mouth are trouble and deceit. Um, when Paul, in Romans chapter 3, that I quote up there, verses 10 through 18, is on the screen, Paul brings in the same idea when he's talking about how there's none righteous, no, not one. Um, he says in verse 10 that none understand and no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. And all these things are quotes from the Old Testament and, and many of them Psalms. Their feet are shift, or, oh, shift, no. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. And he quotes this, there is no fear of God before their eyes. So you can see Paul's pulling in the same ideas of no fear of God, of how this corrupt speech just comes out, how they're acting foolishly um, in their life. And that's the nature of the sinner and why there's none righteous, you know. Um, then what the psalmist does next it, and what we're going to really focus on this morning is, is obviously not so much the nature of the sinner, um, but how the nature and attributes of God. And as I said in the call to worship, this is, is surprising because if it kind of followed the pattern of Psalm 1, it would be, here's the wicked, here's the righteous, the wicked does this, he stands in the seat of sinners and, and does all that, and you know, whereas the righteous delights in the law of the Lord, and, and there's a contrast and a contrast in, in the, how the result of their lives... He doesn't do that here. He has the wicked, but then he has God. He has the object of our faith. And this quote from, from Alan Ross in his commentary is, I think, really helpful for us. He does not compare the righteous with the wicked. Rather, he compares the object of the faith of the righteous, the nature of the Lord with the beliefs and practices of the believers. And really, that's the situation because it's not like those of us who are in Christ we don't have a righteousness of our own, right? We have his righteousness credited to us. So, you know, in a sense, everybody is, is, is a sinner, right? Everybody's born a sinner. Um, and then the only difference for the believer is not that he's not a sinner, it's just he has forgiven sin, right? He has put his faith and trust in the Lord um, to pay that sin. 
And that isn't something new that just comes up in the New Testament. We sometimes think that as if the Old Testament didn't see it, didn't understand it. Now, the the lost of them didn't see it. Even Nicodemus in John 3 didn't really understand it. Um, But he wasn't saved. But it's there. We talked about some of this with the call to worship back in Psalm 32, maybe a month ago. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, right? Blessed is the one whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. So there, it's, we don't have a righteousness, we have forgiven sin. That's what we're in, you know. Um, now we do have, like I said, Christ's righteousness, but we don't have a righteousness of our own, right? We've trusted in the Lord for that righteousness. And the end of that psalm, of Psalm 32, brings that in because it's already described how there really is only wicked and forgiven. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, it says in verse 10, but steadfast love, which we're going to see a lot of this morning, steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. And and that's relating to his forgiveness of trusting in the Lord to forgive him of his sin. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy all you upright in heart. The righteous and the upright in heart is the one whose sin has been forgiven, right? Not someone who, in and of their own lives, was righteous and upright in heart, who lived in perfect obedience to the law. None of us have. But we can be righteous and upright in heart um, through Christ. That is the only way we can be righteous and upright in heart. Um, in the calls to worship, um, you, you may have caught on that a few times I, I keep bringing up when we, when we run across steadfast love, um, that that's the Hebrew word hesed, um, transliterated H-E-S-E-D, hesed. Um, and I keep emphasizing it because I, I want us to, as a body, just understand it and grasp it. And I'm kind of wanting to see the flow of it through the Psalms. But it's a really rich word that gives um, the translators fits. Um, because you can't translate that into one single English word and really capture it in its fullness, right? You can't do justice to it. And you end up with, with different words by different translations of the Bible trying to capture what hased means in, in, in English, what best does it. A New American Standard will use loving kindness. The NIV uses love. The King James Version used mercy. Um, Christian Standard Bible, Holman Christian Standard Bible use faithful love. Um, some commentators that I read, when they like, translate the Hebrew on their own, not going there, they'll use unchanging love or covenant love. And, and the reason it gives fits is because the word has elements of all those things pulled into it. It isn't just love. It's, it's mercy. It's grace. It's goodness. It's faithfulness. And especially, like in a sense, the faithfulness, the permanence is an aspect that has to be drawn in. And that's why, English Standard Version, steadfast love. You know, it, it, it stays steady. It, it continues or unchanging or covenant love. Um, as I was reading Dale Ralph Davis's commentary, um, he says he'll occasionally call it love with super glue on it. 
And maybe that's helpful for you. I mean, super glue is not a little sticky. It's like, I think, you know, you get it on there and you're like, I can't get this stuff off. It's permanent. It's stuck. You know, you have to get some other thing to get it off. Well, God's love isn't even like that. There's no way to get it off. It's not coming off. It's permanent. It's a love that doesn't let go. Okay? So that's why I, I really prefer those, that, those translations that use steadfast love, unchanging love, covenant love. Because once it's there, it's there forever, right? And that permanence, and I've talked about this before, that permanence is a reflection of God's character, of God's unchangeableness, of God's faithfulness. His, his love will not change because he will not change. He cannot change, um, and therefore his love will not change. We don't have to worry about him deciding not to love us tomorrow because of something we do. That will not happen. We are secure. That's what this, this word is, 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 is drawing from. Okay? So from the rest of this outline, I'm not using the outline that we used in the call to worship. I want to use um, what Dale Ralph Davis, which I don't know if it was like his alternate way of looking at this passage, but it's like he goes through this whole commentary of it, and then the last paragraph, he kind of says a way of looking at this psalm. And it just, wow, it hit me. It resonated. Um, and it has cool alliteration, too, which doesn't, doesn't hurt in helping us to remember it. But he talked about God's changing love. He says, how vast, how valuable, how vital, and how victorious. So how vast his unchanging love in verses 5 and 6, how valuable his unchanging love is, is detailed in 7 through 9, how vital his changing love in verses 10 through 11, and how victorious his unchanging love is in verse 12. So that's what we're going to spend some, a little bit of time on this morning, and, and not my normal hour, but we'll go through it. So verses 5 and 6, how vast his unchanging love. You know, we're, we're going to sing, after, this, after the, the message this morning, we're going to sing how deep the Father's love for us. And it, it draws on this same concept from this verse. It says, how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure. That's what it's talking about, is, is God's love, how vast beyond all measure. And that's what David is saying here. David says, your love, your steadfast love, your unchanging love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Meaning it's, it's infinite. It's beyond measure. It extends as far as the eye can see on a clear day. And not only the, the sense of limitlessness, um, but I think there's a sense of, of just contrast in relationship to us. Um, we're five or six feet tall, except for Colin. You know, and, and so that's what we are. But the, the heavens are, you know, miles and miles. I mean, as far as you can see, if we think of the sun or the moon, I mean, it's, I, I didn't pay attention in science, but it's a lot of miles, right? Um, and, and that is the expression of, of his unchanging love. It, there's, there's no limit, but it's so far beyond what, what we are. Um, and he wants us to see that, that not only the no limit, but the, the, the greatness in, in comparison to, to, to our being. So we have the, the, the vastness uh, of his unchanging love in verse 5. And that same um, thought, as we saw in the call to worship, carries through in, in towards these other attributes that he brings in in verses um, 5 and 6. Your faithfulness 
to the clouds, or your faithfulness extends to the clouds. Same concept as to the heavens, right? The clouds are in the heavens. So your faithfulness has no limit. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God, or the mighty mountains. And, and I think it's the same idea of this incredibly huge mountain um, that you're looking at, that we have a, a great illustration in, in this county to be able to, to look at Mount Baker and, and be on the ground and see something that's 10,000 feet. You know, how great that is and how far away we are from it and can see it. So his, your righteousness of God is like the mighty mountains or, and the judgments or justice of God are like the great deep. Not sure why the song made it more of the ocean's wave because it's, it's talking about the depth of the ocean, which is interesting a little bit to me because, you know, David's, you know, living in Israel and, and the ocean he would understand is the Mediterranean. And we we know that, that the great deeps of the ocean are in the Pacific and the Atlantic are just miles and miles deep and dark and, and really we have no idea what's down there, right? We, but it's just, you know, but once again, that, that sense of, of infinite, of unmeasurable, of inexhaustible, beyond our really, uh, we can't really comprehend how deep that is and, and how far, I mean, we can see the sun and the moon, but we really don't grasp how far that is away from us. But that's, the, the attributes of God. And it's true of all of his attributes, not just his love, faithfulness, righteousness, and, and justice here. It's true of, of, of all of his attributes. You know, and I think as I was thinking about this this week is there's kind of a, a bit of a danger, at least in my own life, is the, the, the beauty of these two verses. I mean, it, the, the poetry of it, just the, the way it says everything is just is amazing to me. And it's almost, I, I can fall into the trap that it's so familiar that I don't, I don't mine it for all it's worth. You know, it just kind of flows off on the tongue and, and I just kind of then move on. And it's like, we need to mine it for all it's worth and, and understand what it's really saying and, and then celebrate the, the beauty of how it was put there by the Holy Spirit, of course. But... Boy, understand the, the limitlessness, the, the vastness of God's unchanging love, the vastness of all of his attributes, um, and that it is not only that today, but it'll, it is always that. It was that, is that, and will be that for all of eternity. That is God's unchanging, um, the vastness of God's unchanging love. So secondly, this morning would be in verses seven to nine, how valuable his unchanging love is. How valuable his unchanging love. So um, having, having noted his, his steadfast love and the other attributes in, in verses five and six, he gets to verse seven and, and he can't help himself. He just kind of, you have an exclamation point there. He's just bursting out after having talked about these attributes. He just bursts out. How precious is your steadfast love, O God? You know, and that exclamation point, he just can't help it. And, and precious, in the Hebrew word, if, I mean, I love that we have the ability of, of a downloaded app and just tap the word and it's like, here, here's other ways it's used. And it, the first thing, valuable. How valuable is your steadfast or unchanging love? How weighty, how prized, how splendid. You know, and it's used of that, that precious stone or rare jewel. Um, and that is how David is just amazed at about God's uh, unchanging love. And we should be amazed just like he is. If we've understood verses five and six right, that should be how we respond is verse seven. It's just how valuable, how amazing your steadfast love is, oh God. We see the incredible value then explained a little bit further in, in verses seven through nine. 
Um, he talks about, he says, the children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. So we have this, this picture of God's protection. Um, the children of mankind taking refuge in the shadow of, of his wings. You know, it's not that often that scripture, you know, uses an illustration of a bird for God, but here is one of those times of, of taking refuge. And, and I think we've all seen a, a bird or a, a mother, mother hen and, and the little chicks, or the, um, we see it out on the golf course when we live there with the ducks and, and, the, and the mom would, would, would protect um, the, 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 the smaller duck or the smaller chick, you know, by putting them underneath the, the wing. And that's trying to give us a picture that we can understand in, in earthly terms of how God, who is obviously not a bird being a spirit, but how he protects us. So in, what does he protect us from? The psalmist doesn't detail here. He does in other psalms. Um, but he protects us from from, from evil, we know that. He, he protects us from, from certain bad things happening, not all of them, Certainly, certain things are, are allowed to happen for our good. But I think there's also a protection from judgment. There's a, there's a spiritual protection as well as a physical protection um, in mind here, um, that sin is all going to be judged. We saw in verses one through four that the sinner is, is foolishly not recognizing that judgment, but judgment will come and our, our saving is through God, is through God protecting us in, in this picture of, of through the shadow of his wings. And we understand that more fully of, of how that is done through Christ and, and putting our trust in him. But here's God protecting us physically and spiritually. Um, he is doing that. In verse 8, it talks about they feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. Um, I love the, 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 the kind of the, the words there. It's not you eat a little bit from some small amount at your house, right? It's you feast. You have more than you can consume from the abundance of his house. And, that's, and Phil's talked about this so many times um, about that. But, you know, God's provision, it, it's abundant. It overflows. David brought that up in, in Psalm 23, right? When he talks about, um, you have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows or runneth over, as, as King James Version used to, would, would say. Um, Surely goodness and mercy which is said there again, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. But he's recognizing that it's just, it's, it's overflowing. It's beyond, you know, what we need. And, and that's how God supplies. So they feast on the abundance of his house. Um, they drink from the river of his delights. He, he gives us the, the earthly food and drink we need, but he also gives us the, the spiritual food and, and drink we need as well. And that starts to get drawn in in, in verse 9 when he says, For, telling us why, for, it, for with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. And that at first is like, wow, what is he, where is he going with this? Um, so with you is the fountain of life. Um, with you is the source of physical and spiritual life. Um, it's the fountain, it's the spring, it's not, I mean, they didn't have, you know, piped in fountains in their day, so it, it you know, with him is, is the source of physical and spiritual life. Um, he's the, the initiator of it, he's the sustainer of it, both physically and spiritually, right? And in your light do we see light. Um, different, different understandings of what is going on there, um, 
I guess when I, when I read the few different ones, I, I kind of felt that, that really it was about that it's obviously in God's light do we see light. And I think it, it's meaning that in, in salvation we have clarity. Whereas the fool in verses one to four, the sinner did not have clarity. Um, he was deceived. Those who have come to salvation have clarity. God has given us that through the, through the Holy Spirit, through the word of God, through revelation to us. You know, we have the Holy Spirit to help us understand truth. So we now can see light as he does, you know, because his truth is being communicated to us and we're understanding it. Our eyes have been opened to that truth. But so God's unchanging love is valuable in how it, it protects, how it provides, how it sustains. And, and even, and I, and I really I shouldn't have skipped over it, really, and even in, at the end of verse 6 of how it saves. Man and beast you save, O Lord. There's a lot there of, of why man and beast, but it's talking about his provision to, to mankind and to animals. And, and maybe sometimes mankind is more like the animals, sadly. But, but man and beast he saves. He provides for physically. Um, and, and sustains, but obviously spiritually for man, um, he does protecting, providing, and sustaining as well. So thirdly this morning is, is how vital his unchanging love is. Verses 10 through 11, how vital his unchanging love. Oh, continue your steadfast love to those who know you and your righteousness to the upright of heart. Let not the foot of arrogance come upon me nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. There the evildoers lie fallen, they are thrust down, unable to rise. So he cries out, you know, oh, continue your steadfast love. You know, and you have that exclamation again of just how this is just bursting out. He's, David is wanting God's unchanging love to continue. He's wanting God's righteousness towards him to continue. Um, so that begs a question, does it not? Are we at risk of God's unchanging love stopping of it of his unchanging love changing that can't really happen but of his unchanging love leaving and no as we said we're not at all at risk of that um, we, we can see it it's permanence and um, we see it elsewhere in scripture we can see the security of the believer um, as we use the super glue analogy we see its stickiness but we see in hebrews 13 um, he promises to never leave us or forsake us Never. He will never leave us or forsake us. In John 10, it talks about how no one can snatch us out of his hand. Romans 8, which I have on the screen. I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation. And don't miss all those nors. I mean, he's, he's basically saying there's nothing. He's, he's, it's trying to be exhaustive. There's nothing that I can think of. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So it's not about, you know, will his, his love change? So why is he praying this? Why is he saying, may this continue? Because he knows how vital it is for his daily life. He has to have it. It's essential to him. He has to in order to go on. He knows if, if God pulled back his steadfast love, what it would look like, you know, what, where he would be. He would stumble. He would stray. It, it would be a mess, um, right? Um, I'm not very musical, but one of the songs that, that I do really like um, is, is by the Gettys, and it's a song called He Will Hold Me Fast. And I think that's, that's, this is what it captures, is part of what Psalm 36 is talking about when it says this. When I fear my faith will fail, 
Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path, for my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so, he will hold me fast. That is very, very biblical, very true. And, and that is God's love. That's God's unchanging love. He will hold us. Um, he will sustain us. And, we, and that's why we have to have it. It's why David said it's so vital. I have to have that to go through the, the storms of life that we're going to face. He doesn't want to face those storms without knowing that he's, he's safe and with God's unchanging love, that he's safe in the shadow of his wings. He doesn't want to face those storms without that. He can't live without it. We can't live without it. Um, God's unchanging love is vital for us. So he, once again, so he prays it. He will continue. And then in verse 11, he says, he prays that he will not fall into sin. Um, just because God's going to hold him fast, right, and, and that God's steadfast love is going to be on him forever, he still says, I don't want to sin. I don't want to fall into sin. I don't want to do any sin. Because he knows, as we saw in the first four verses, he knows the nature of sin. He knows that it's an arrogance. He knows it's a big deal. He doesn't want to do it. Um, and this is the same, we should have the same attitude that we should be pursuing in our sanctification, Praying that we're not led into temptation. Praying that we're kept away from evil. That we're detesting sin so that we don't fall into that. Um, fourth, and, and lastly, um, is how victorious his unchanging love in verse 12. So David knows the end. He says, There the evildoers lie fallen, they are thrust down, unable to rise. So he knows in the end, and it's more implicit than explicit here, but he knows that God's unchanging love will continue through the end. It'll continue through judgment and on to eternity. But on judgment day, when he's standing there, he knows the evildoers that he's described in verses 1 to 4 are going to lie fallen. They're not going to be able to stand. They're going to be judged. They're going to be found guilty. They're not going on to eternity in heaven with God. They're going into judgment, right? But for us, if we are a recipient of God's steadfast love, on that day we will be able to stand, right? We will live forever with the Lord. You know, he will look at us and see the righteousness of Christ and we will go on into eternity because God's unchanging love is victorious and it cannot be anything other than that. So I hope this morning that as you, you, you've seen this psalm, in a, in a rather quick fashion, at least for me, but that you, you see God's unchanging love. You see how vast it is, how valuable it is, how vital for our daily life it is, and how in the end, how victorious that will be for us. So let's pray this morning. Lord, we stand amazed as we look at this psalm and see your unchanging love that it is vast beyond measure. We see how valuable it is, how vital it is to our daily life and our eternal life, how victorious it is when we stand in the day of judgment that we can trust in your steadfast love being upon us. God, we thank you for that. We, we, we truly are amazed and, and we recognize that it, it, it's not because of anything we have done. 
Um, but it's because of what you have done for us through your Son, Jesus Christ. That all who have put their faith and trust in Christ, all who have done that, have been forgiven of their sin, been declared righteous, and are recipients of your steadfast, unchanging love. How amazing that you took wicked wretches that we are and placed your love upon us. God, we thank you for what you've done for us through your son, Jesus Christ, recognizing that we are so undeserving. We do pray for that for our friends and family members that, that haven't done that. We pray that they will do that, that your spirit will convict them of their sin and their need of a savior and draw them to you. Oh. Lord, and, and just may this psalm just stick with us this week. May it, may it just resonate in our ears. May we just have a hard time not thinking about your unchanging love. God, we thank you for it. We thank you for all your word. What a resource we have that you've given us. We thank you for it. But may our understanding of your unchanging love, may it change us. May it, may it grow and increase our sanctification. May it increase our love for you um, in ways that, that bring you glory. We, we ask these things in your name. Amen.